Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined tonight by Anthony Slater does excellent, excellent work up in the Bay Area covering the Warriors and the NBA for The Athletic. You can catch him on the Warriors Plus Minus podcast. You can tweet him right there at Anthony V. Slater. Um, and uh, he is joining us from a very dark room tonight, but beautifully lit just in this way that makes you makes you look very handsome. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> I need better lighting in my kitchen, I guess. I don't know. I usually don't go on the late, late night podcast, right? I actually have a big window over here that, you know, I'm usually on podcasts in the daytime. I I can light myself up better that way. I was going to say, do you have a ring light or anything like that? Or are you really just left to the devices of your, of your kitchen appliance or or what the setup in your kitchen? I should, I I shouldn't admit this because however many months now we're into a pandemic, we can now say we're basically a year into it. Pretty Um, much. Crazy, but we are. And I do podcasts, I do some TV hits, I do a lot of stuff, and I'm I'm still pretty, you know, I've kept it pretty amateur. I haven't had the set up what I need to, um, and I should. If Anthony, if it makes you feel any better, we've been doing this for almost a year. We started at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm still doing it in front of our blinds. Like, everybody else, like, they, they work on the thing. They got the background. They put all the little knickknacks behind it, whatever. I, I haven't done any of that because this doubles as school. Like this is the, one of my kids' classrooms in the in the daytime. If we were doing this at 10 a.m., I can open up this big window that's mm-hmm. behind me, and I do it sometimes for our, like our athletic podcast, and it actually looks like I created like this really nice outside background. But does it feel like an oh, like like that type of uh, on a sunny day? Up? On a sunny day, it, nice. it's nice, but. Yeah, right now it would just be pitch black. I, I, I got to tell you, this this lends an air of of almost mystery to to Anthony Slater. That e- I think either that or like you've been kidnapped and it's an undisclosed location. <laughs> I might have to go turn on a light. I feel no, like, it's no, okay. No, I like it. We and like look, it. I got to be honest with you. There are times when I think a lot of people wondering if kidnapping is the way that we get people on this show. So um, it, it works out thematically. So we have to ask you. Uh, and we'll just start here because this is where Lakers fans are. This is, I think, where the basketball world is. Is Damian Jones merely the greatest Laker of all time, or is he the greatest player of all time? Man, um, you guys remind me of, or this situation with Damian Jones reminds me of the Warriors um, during their title runs when they would get a little bit bored during the regular season, and they <laughs> would add one of these 10-day guys I can remember Briante Weber, they they added oh, yeah. for some third point guard help, and he came in and had some like nice like hustle steals, and the fan base loved him for ten days, and it was just like there was a realization that like come playoff time, irrelevant, completely irrelevant, and truthfully, about ten days later, I think he might have got a second ten day after that wasn't on the team, but they let you know it was it was the topic among the fan base, and clearly Damian Jones's, which is. It's a stunner to me. I, I'm surprised he's still in the league. I like Damian Jones, and he like I've watched some. You know, he he had some nice minutes against the Warriors. Watched that game the other night, and it seemed like he had a couple nice moments tonight against Phoenix. Um, but I'm still surprised. I, I am. You're surprised that when you say you're surprised, you mean surprised that he latched on anywhere that he's actually gotten this opportunity, or you're surprised that in the small sample size with the Lakers. He's actually done well so far. Both, um, you know, he he's been given up on by on three teams now. 
you know, the Warriors obviously not only gave up on him, they traded him for Omari Spellman and gave a second round pick because it 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 was because Omari Spellman made a little bit less money and they were really finagling the the hard cap, but they gave up a second round pick to get off him. Atlanta gave up on him, obviously, and then Phoenix, the team they played tonight, cut him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you That's know, right. Damian Jones revenge game. Yes, there you <laughs> go. Uh, so good for him. I'm glad he's still in the league, and he, you know, he he did it. It's been what he's how many minutes has he played now for the Lakers? Like 20 total, probably. That's 20 minutes in franchise history, Anthony. Well, he, he literally doesn't miss. Like, <laughs> name me a great Lakers center. Kareem missed shots. Shaq missed shots. All AD misses shots. Damian Jones doesn't. Well, one thing I will say, you know, that's obviously a, a little bit of hyperbole by you, but what I don't think is hyperbole is that might be have been the greatest 20 minutes of his career to this point. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not hyperbole to say he doesn't miss. The dude has not missed yeah. a shot yet as a Laker. <laughs> what and is by he the like? Way, we have a, we have a game. Of He's quiz. five of five. There you go. We have, we have a quiz uh, later in the hour um, in honor of Damian Jones and his hot start from the field as a Lakers center. But um, obviously, your scouting report on uh, Damian Jones is not glowing. But let me ask you guys: Do you did you know about him much? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you've heard his name, but like, did you was he on your radar <laughs> okay. at all full, before full five days ago? <laughs> full confession: <laughs> I had him mixed up with Damian Lee, <laughs> and I'm not the only person. It, like it took us out. I'm like, wait, Damian Jones or Damian? Oh, wait, Damian Jones. Okay, all right. Like when I when I think about fringe warriors, I tend to think more about Damian Jones than I mean Damian Lee than Damian Jones. Yeah, if I'm being fully honest about this thing. Damian Lee's had more important moments. Uh, Damian Jones was. Do you know his bet like his career? All I like, know is that he's a Vandy guy because I went to Vanderbilt, so I keep yes. very mild track of all the guys in the league who are Vandy guys. Not only is he a Vandy guy, he was the he was the Vanderbilt successor to Festus Azili, who was the, right. the Vanderbilt center who Festus went 30th overall in the draft to the Warriors. Um, and you know, had the 2016 finals moment flamed out a little bit, then they drafted Damian Jones 30th overall center. He was going to be the next, um, but Torres Peck, uh, in pre-draft workouts. So he basically missed his entire rookie season. Uh, second year just couldn't get ahead of JaVale McGee. Another guy, you know, well, uh, it, to the point that after his second year, the Warriors wanted to give Damian Jones a chance and they didn't resign JaVale McGee. It's why JaVale McGee went to the Warriors or went to the Lakers and Damian Jones started his first 20 games, his third season for a title team. He was technically the starting center on the defending champs, which at this point, he's now a rotation player, I guess, for the defending champs. That's right. <laughs> so uh, he has rings. Uh, I think he has two. Yeah, two rings. Um, I mean, j- just say it, Anthony. Frank Vogel has figured out ways to use Damian Jones that Steve Kerr, despite the three rings and the ones that he won with Phil and Pop, whatever, hasn't figured it out yet. I mean, just just so we don't pull punches around here, Anthony. There was a moment where he was okay, and it was at the start of his third season, and Steph Curry was kind of creating the gravity, and he was doing the JaVale McGee role, which was like, you know, get a few lob dunks per game, leverage that, you know, block a couple shots, be big on defense. Uh, he's He can be exploited in the pick and roll. Um, but he Steph Curry went out for like a 10-game stretch, and Damian Jones started really struggling to the point that People like me were like, hey, he kind of needs to be pulled from the starting lineup. And right when Steph Curry was about to come back and Steve Curry was saying, wait till he gets Curry back, he tore his other pack. It was the second torn pack. Basically missed. What's crazy is he missed the entire rest of his third season. 
for you know a very very serious injury and then he was suddenly healthy during the west finals and steve kerr randomly he hadn't played in six months steve kerr starts him in the west finals game three and he fouls three times in the first three minutes like gets under damian lillard on a three makes a you know jumps at a pump fake and crashes into i think it was mccollum three really bad fouls you never see him again he goes and plays summer league he was the very rare Right and okay, oh. there you go. Oh, okay, and then I I remember them, you know, doing a thing on him like you know, can he potentially solve it? And then they traded him like a day later. To, to so that was Atlanta. sort of no. So basically, yeah, if, that was the answer was no. If I'm understanding you correctly, like the subtext of of what you're saying there is that maybe we need to slow our roll a little bit on Damian Jones. <laughs> Like maybe I, he's not going to be the thing that pushes the Lakers uh, over the edge and makes the repeat a a guarantee. I can't imagine LeBron James and Frank Vogel and and that veteran team being okay with having him on the court in the playoffs. Just from a decision making standpoint, from a basketball feel standpoint, if the Lakers feel like just his athletic juice and you know uh, ability to rim protect, set a bruising screen, maybe catch a lob, he ma- does you know, set up. Mother of a screen, man. Yeah, like well, I, well, he's I huge. He's that. huge. Yeah, he's like, uh, you know, people just think all centers are the same size. No, like, you know, they're smaller centers, bigger centers. I mean, if he's standing next to Montrezl Harrell, for example, he's just a much bigger human. Um, but he's he'll over time, he's going to leave a lot to be desired. He all just right. is. And against I, good, smart teams, he's typically going to get played off the floor. I had a feeling that might be what it is. Um, disappointed. We're hoping, we're, hoping but. The, uh, we're hoping that the run to repeating is all dumb teams, Anthony. And that's where that's where Damian Jones is going to make his value felt. The Lakers' path to a repeat is all the dumb teams that made the playoffs. I, I'm, I'm just picturing this. I'm, I'm uh, willing this to existence. Do you think that roster spot – should you know now it makes sense for a center right no davis you know even gasol is now out um uh, in the long run do you think that's better used on like a wing another yeah wing? Uh, ultimately yeah. yes yeah i gotta be honest i you know you'd be i think because you're smarter on i'm assuming everything than andy and i are we had this debate on our podcast the other night how much help do you think is really going to be there in the buyout market this year not just for the lakers but for everyone my theory is because teams may be a little bit reluctant to eat money right now just because of the finances of, of different teams in the league. And also, like, you look at the Eastern Conference, there are like eight teams that all have the same amount of losses. The West, there are only a couple teams that are legit out of it if you consider the top 10. How yeah, much do you 10. think the buyout market's really going to play into it? Like, how many people do you think will be out there this year? It's probably going to be lesser than usual. Um, you know, the 10, you mentioned the 10, like that really opens it up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in the West, really only the Timberwolves can say they're out of the that chase right now. Uh, and in the East, yeah, can anybody? I mean, like you could go to the bottom of the East and be like, if you suddenly got hot, you could get to the 10. Now, I think there are smart teams that are going to decide it's not worth it, particularly in a year where the top five of the draft is supposed to be unbelievable. So if you're Orlando right. or some of these teams, you should sell off. Now that's more trade market than buyout. Uh, you know, the, but the reality for the Lakers is you only need one or two because they are the premier uh, buyout destination. To me, Trevor Ariza just seems obvious, right? Eventually. 
And that's the other guy that we talked about on the podcast. Like, do, how much do you think he could help? He was he was okay. He had moments last year in Portland where he was pretty good. He hasn't play, he hasn't played all year. No, and he, he didn't he play in the bubble in. either. Remember, he 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 opted yeah, out he, of the. Oh, bubble. That's right. Yeah, he had that custody situation. Yeah, he opted out of the bubble. He, I've had conversations with Kevin Durant before during like when they those Warriors Rockets uh, playoff series, and he'd be like, Trevor Rees is a top three defender I've ever faced in the league, top five defender. Like, now that's. That's not prime Trevor Ariza, but that's late prime Trevor Ariza. He's past that. And it does feel like there's a point where people fall off the cliff a little bit uh, in their career, and particularly a guy who you saw it with J.R. Smith, right, when he came to the Lakers last year. It was like, hey, he could maybe give us stuff, but he hasn't played basketball in 18 months, and it was like pretty obvious well, he had. Here, the difference, though, is, I mean, I had no expectations for J.R. Smith whatsoever. My, my, my thought was basically if J.R. is playing at all in the playoffs – something likely went really bad. But that being said, I do think one advantage the Lakers have with somebody on the buyout market, and I think we saw that last year with uh, Markeith Morris, who ended up more important in the playoffs than I thought he would be. Assuming the Lakers are at full strength, for a team like this with their talent and depth, you don't have to be that great to make an impact because only so much is needed of you. Like If you can do one or two things particularly well – and stay in your lane, you actually can be helped. Like block shots and set picks like Damian Jones. Maybe be he tall. is the answer. Be, be tall. Be man. really tall. He's stuck around. He's stuck around longer than the guy the Warriors gave up a second-round pick to get off him for. So, you know, Amari Spellman's in the G League. So, with – I, th- I mean, head my ass. Uh, well, you know, there's more topics that we can go down that list that, that <laughs> some, some people would agree with you uh, on that assessment. But – you know, Trevor Reza should be able to guard two through four, right? Um, and now where's the shot at? If he can just sit in the corner and make 35%, sure, he can help. The one thing is, and I mean, this is a very LeBron James, uh, you know, I guess MO, but he loves his like v- weathered veterans. You know, he loves the guys who've been through wars, who've been in West Finals, who, who've who guarded him in big playoff games, who he knows he can trust to read a scouting report, know a scouting report, to be at practice on time um, and handle everything that comes with, with being an NBA player. So, like, Ariza fits that for sure. Can he still play? I don't know, but he, to me, he just seems like the type of guy they would go after yeah, and, and could help. And in, a no, and in the buyout market, it's no harm, no foul. It's like, no, you know, no. you're either, you know, you don't expect to sign somebody or trade for somebody or whatever. Well, maybe if you're trading, but like in terms of bought out guys, it's like, you know, great if they help. I mean, the only, the exception to that is like they kind of needed Markeith Morris to be useful last he year. He was pro, I'm trying to remember who else was a buyout last year, but he was probably the best, you know, the guy that produced the most off the buyout market because he had and like the- a, rocket series remember he had a, like a three yeah. threes at the end of a first quarter of game two he had a couple moments that's all you and, need a couple and, it moments. Was, and it should be noted that he was terrible up until that point like he was awful before they got to the bubble yeah he was the rare buyout that did enough in the playoffs to earn a second contract yeah i mean he's on team still this year which is i feel like pretty rare for a buyout guy hi like the lakers it's funny like i think we've andy and i have gone through it's the same thing it's like Okay, Schroeder's not there. Uh, AD's not there. Of course, they're going to lose. Like tonight, Schroeder was there, but three other guys were missing. They had no centers, and Kuz wasn't playing and all that. It's not hard to figure out why they're not winning games when those guys are missing. When you look around the rest of the conference, though, um, Phoenix, for example, how good do you think they are? And that's a that's a 
a change from our normal question is are the utah jazz for real we're switching it up tonight well phoenix like, how good is phoenix tonight. uh they're the fourth team in the west right i mean it, it felt like it was like the two la's in utah trying to break in and then under that was it has been a mess but phoenix seems like they've separated a bit from that mess they they're cementing themselves as four and that's you know that's something that's a leap ahead of the you know the Warriors the the Nuggets who've been weirdly not great early in the season and then everyone else you know Portland some of those Dallas some of those teams below so fourth and dangerous in the playoffs because they seem to be rising you know you could see growth from them yeah I mean you you look at what Chris Paul's done the last few years I mean it's interesting to see him become this guy that now is be was really renowned for the culture effect, because he was starting to, to reach this place in his career where fair or not, people were wondering how well he got along with teammates and you know whether the issues that he had in Houston with James Harden, how much of that is him, how much of that is Harden, the issues with the Clippers between him and Blake Griffin, how much is Blake, how much is him. The last few years, whether it's just right place in his career, right composition of the roster, that sort of thing, Chris Paul, it, the, the effect that he's had just from his arrival ha- has been amazing. Yeah. Uh, we don't talk much about him having this elongated prime, and I don't think he's still in his prime. But he's – what is he now, 36, 37? And he's not that far off from his best days. It's been a really slow decline, 35. Right? He's yeah. be 36 in about uh, three months. Yeah, like it's been a pretty steady drop for him. No real, I was going to say that the drop-off has been pretty negligible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he had, you know, those Clippers. He was like MVP conversation. He's sure. no longer that. But like for him, I agree. He, you didn't know leaving Houston. He, going to Oklahoma City, uh, I thought he was going to force his way out there. The way he embraced the Oklahoma City situation uh, I've said this before, Anthony. I I feel like that situation last year with Chris Paul and the Thunder was like a reminder of the power of professionalism, like on both sides, because Chris Paul showed up. And like you said, there was a lot of speculation that he would immediately want out and be moved somewhere else. And, you know, talking to some people familiar with what was going on, like he was very happy with the way the team approached that season and, you know, they they were very straightforward with him with what was going on. He handled it really well. He embraced it. And then when the time came to move him, both the player and the organization could do that from a position of strength. And it was, I think, really one of those times that just everybody acting the right way and really trying to create the best overall situation worked out so well. Like, I think it's, it's something actually that, I think players and franchises around the league should be mindful of. They can use that as an example. Yeah, Sam's been really good on that lately. Sam Presti. I covered the Thunder for a few years, and I covered the end of the Duraner there. And that wasn't a franchise and a star that knew what you know they. Now they were in symbiosis as far as like they all they were trying to you know win the title that season, but. They didn't know what he was going to do. To be honest, till the final hour, they thought he was still coming back. And then suddenly he was on the Warriors. And I think in the aftermath of that, Sam Presti learned how to leverage those situations for himself. Look at what he did with Paul George. You know, he he got Paul George there, and it's it's become pretty clear since that when Paul George decided to sign back there, 
he told Paul George, if there's a moment where you want to be traded, we will work with you. We will trade. So sign the full max, but that doesn't mean you're signing to have to play here for four years. And after one season on that new full max, he worked with Paul George to not only get Paul George where he wanted to go, but he, you know, he robbed the Clippers with Paul George <laughs> as an asset. You know, I mean, he took all their first round picks plus Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's like a fringe all-star already. And then he did the same thing with Westbrook, right? A, a guy who he very smoothly guided the PR of letting like a franchise legend go and getting two first round picks and getting Chris Paul, who was better than Russell Westbrook. It was proven to be. And then yes, he gets Chris Paul in there and goes, let's, let's rehab the image a little bit. And I don't mean like, you know, the, the public image, but just, he was thought to be a declining player. More I, than a declining player. player. I think and, and this has come up on the, on the chat. Like it's what's I, to me, it's, you know, Quinn better points out, you know, he lost weight when he got there a little better shape. But I think what what people had people really worried about CP wasn't that he wasn't good anymore. It's that he wasn't able to play 80 games. And, you know, he was durable last year in Oklahoma City. He's played, I think, all but one game for Phoenix this year. And so when he now he's playing again. And that that's that I think is to me is the really where the where the rehab has come, so to speak. Yeah, I think the Oklahoma City situation, um, you know, he he says I think it was him saying he was going to kind of take back control of his career you know your comments are right there mentioned losing 15 pounds it's easy to work in oklahoma city that's one thing i learned covering that team you know it's it's obviously not this a spotlight situation they right. weren't thought to be even a competitive team now he he willed them to what like fourth or fifth seed last year but you could just and you're just in that building the way sam presti and really the, you know russell westbrook kevin durant back in the day those serge Ibaka teams like they've just built a working environment you go in there and if you are a professional as you were saying earlier like you can really you know focus and and it does seem like he may have added a few extra good seasons on his career mm -hmm. in that one season at oklahoma city yeah plus the plant base man like he he yes. but there are a lot of guys around the league that are starting to get into that like the the idea of going, you know, plant based, going vegan, like really eliminating, you know, forget just red meat, like any type of meat. Period. Like you know, like just getting protein from other sources. Like it, it was funny before the pandemic began, I had decided that I was going to do, if possible, a month of vegetarian, or I was going to go like two or three weeks vegetarian, and then like a week or two pescatarian, like something like that. And then the pandemic broke out, and then he's going to become a unitarian, right? <laughs> and then gross, you know, like grocery stores became like Mad Max, like this apocalypse where you're just grabbing whatever shit you can get off the off the aisles, and it's just chaos. And at that point, I was like, okay, I I don't think I can afford to be picky enough, like during this particular period, to go just you know produce and stuff like that. But the like the two weeks or so that I did go vegetarian before everything went sideways, I didn't lose weight, but my body felt way lighter. Like, like the, the entirety of my body felt oh, for sure. You typically way that I hadn't before. have more energy too, right? Just brain power. Yeah. You wake up, you feel good. You feel a little bit more energized. It lasts longer in the day. You might not need to take like a midday nap or, you know, you just don't feel as sluggish, which matters. And I think the reason why you're seeing it, like you go to these cities that, you know, back in the days where I could travel to a lot of these cities, 
there are really good like vegan or or vegetarian restaurants popping up everywhere. Dallas has them all over, which is like, you know, I, you would think of oh, Texas, they eat terribly, whatever, or even Oklahoma City, what we were talking earlier. I could name you, you know, eight super healthy restaurants with great food in Oklahoma City. Like that, that, that has become a popular thing in the country. It's different now. It's so much different. I remember like maybe, I don't know, 15 to 20 years ago, I dated this girl for a couple months that was like a strict hardcore vegan. And basically at the time in LA, there was one place we could go to eat. So like every single date we went on, we went to this one place. And I remember just being like, God damn, I don't know. I don't know how she does this. And this, this relationship is destined to fail because we, we can't eat anywhere together. Like it was incredibly restrictive and boring. It's it's a lot different now. Like you were saying, like you have options if you want to do. And that. also, two guys can afford to, and I think are understanding this and the, the value of it, the the, the amount, the, the the value of the investment. If I make twenty six million dollars a year, or eighteen, or fourteen, or whatever it is, and I want to, you know, add three years to my career, I can not only get myself a chef and get somebody to make me food or whatever. I can do it in a way where the food's still going to taste good, even if I'm giving stuff up. And I think organizations are much better about feeding their their players. I remember when Andy oh, yeah. and I broke into the league, guys were eating McDonald's from upstairs at Staples Center in the locker room before games. Like that, that does not happen anymore. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. You go into the locker rooms. It's, it's it's clean eating. It's you know smoothies with all the right ingredients. And beyond that, guys, when we're talking Chris Paul level, LeBron James level, they literally just have a personal chef that set their home, you know, making yeah. them and they don't to the point that these chefs are so smart about, you know, the type of food and the diet that they just wake up and like, it's ready for them. You know, it's sitting on the table. This is like the perfect meal. And they don't have to think about like, you know, which restaurant am I going to today? Which, which healthy spot It's just, as long as you put the money in and they certainly have the money. All right. Yeah. Tweet, <laughs> tweeting out the actually that we're talking about plant-based diets, but yeah, it's, I'm I'm I've been tempted to give it another go. Like now that things have started to settle down again and you can actually go inside a supermarket without like freaking out that you need to get out of there as absolutely quickly as possible and stuff is actually stocked. Cause like it's it's harder in terms of just preparing things for yourself and like creating more options. And you know, you you have to try to get more if you can, you know, if it's possible, fresher stuff, which means you have to make sure you're using it all and things like that. And, you know, in a house where not everybody else is doing this, it, it's a little more work, but I, I, it felt good. Like, I, I, I don't know if I could do it full time forever, but I can't lie, man. It really felt good to be doing that. Yeah. We, my wife and I do a whole 30 once or twice a year and just cutting out sugar makes a big difference. Um, Anthony, you're younger than we are. You can probably get by with it. But as you become an older person like me and Andy, cutting out the sugar for a month makes a big difference. Yeah. No, I've tried different stuff. Yeah. yeah. And we'll sugar, the problem with sugar is it's delicious. It tastes so good. You put it in so many things that make things delicious. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about that from tonight's game, a lot of controversy around uh, officiating. Yeah. You saw Devin Booker get thrown out. Um, this is obviously a year where the referees can hear everything, but whatever he said, it was bad um, because he got tossed quick. Um, does, does he, is, is the NBA have a, a referee problem, do you think? I saw Mark Davis was the crew chief. I don't know if it was the same. It was the same other two referees that were in Charlotte last week that, the, but Mark Davis was the crew chief on the night that Draymond got ejected 
with eight seconds left in Charlotte up two. They double teed him. It was like, I think Elias had a stat. He was the only player over the last 25 seasons to, in a one possession game in the last 10 minutes, to get two technical fouls. I mean, he handed the game to Charlotte. Um, and Draymond took a large chunk of that criticism, as he should have. But it was still questionable to give a guy two technicals, you know, for being mad about a jump ball and ejecting him with eight seconds left in a two point game. Right. And, yeah, I mean, there's been some odd ones this year. Draymond Green got ejected in a Knicks game when he was yelling at James Wiseman, and mm-hmm. the ref thought he was yelling at him and ejected him. And then they came in after the game. The NBA rescinded the technical, admitted like no, it was wrong. That was on the referees. Um, but you know, it didn't matter. Draymond Green missed the second half. They lost to the Knicks. Like it was, it was impactful. And yeah, probably. I mean, I know Draymond's thing is he believes that refs are in their feelings too much. And, and maybe some of that is these empty arenas. They can hear everything now. I don't know, but the, the review to me, the reviews sometimes are worse than just like the, the strange. Oh my God. They reviewed everything in this game tonight. Like everything got reviewed. It, 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 especially in like the last, you know, two minutes of a close game, it turns into a crawl with, you know, you got timeouts, reviews, every little call. Usually coaches have saved up their challenges. So sometimes now they're challenging, which adds to it. It's wild. Do you have any sense if that comes from the league or if that comes just from the referees being, you know, hyper technical about anything that comes near the head or whatever it might be? I think that the league has okayed all, you know, all the different, avenues they can use for review now they've added the two challenges which there are moments where i'm like well i'm glad there's a challenge that was kind of a key call and now they got it right but i think when you take a step back sometimes you know basketball isn't football football is strange in the way of like you do you know how how much of a football broadcast is actually the ball isn't in play it's very little i don't know and whereas you know it's like you know guy runs he gets tackled and for the next 40 seconds it's you can do a lot more stuff where basketball is, it's a flowing product. And, and when you have, you know, mostly free flowing product and then suddenly we get late in the game and it's, it could take like 12 minutes to finish the last one minute usually. And it's just, I, I think the league didn't necessarily foresee this, but I think Mm -hmm. they've allowed it by creating all the rules. And it does feel like referees are, are a little bit too mechanical. They don't, and, and you do hear that when you talk to players, talk to coaches. Is the old referees back in the day, they they were a bit more human with their not only just their interactions, but their feel of the game. Does a call need to be made? Should you get a technical foul? Now right. it's just like we are told this, we are told this, we are told this. This is letter of the law, and they don't like that. They feel like the sport is a lot more human than the referees are now. Well, when it's also too. It's like you got to be aware. It's Devin Booker. It's a national TV game. Like, do you really need to throw Devin Booker out of this game? Like, short of him saying something absolutely awful, you can see LeBron's face at least on the on the Spectrum feed. I was that's what I was watching as opposed to TNT. Like, you could see like he said something because all the guys were like, "Whoa!" Um, but do you got well, you, you don't have to one throw him is out of the okay, game. yeah. And it was two refs. The first ref gave him the first technical, and the other one snuck up behind him like a ninja and gave him the second one. Like, their booger did not know the guy was there. So, um, otherwise, maybe he would have gotten away with it. I don't know which refs called it. I actually wonder, I, I've been wondering for a while if they need one more ref on the court. Like, I, I just feel like the game has gotten so much faster, but also so spread out. Like, I, there's a, there is a lot of ground to cover and a lot of ground to see 
the way the game is played now. Like, you know, it, it used to be more bunched up. And in that sense, I think like refs could keep their eyes on more things at once and even be a little closer to each other and sort of be seeing the same things, similar angles, that sort of thing. But the way I think the game is played now, like with pace and space, like I actually wonder if just these guys are not capable of keeping up in ways that they could have maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I have sympathy for for NBA referees and how t- difficult the job actually is. In Oklahoma City, when I covered the Thunder, they literally put us on press row. It's, it's one of like three arenas in the league where like beat guys sit courtside. And, you know, my first couple of years sitting courtside, you know, and I was covering those Westbrook Durant teams, which were just flying up and down the court bashing into bodies you know seven game series against the memphis grizzlies where it's like zach randolph marcus soul out there i mean those were physical playoff series and i just i i remember several times during those seasons just sitting there during games and seeing these you know bodies from up close clashing into each other on very you know tough calls at the rim judgment calls and you got to go split second and then right when you make the split second decision particularly in high octane games like playoff games immediately one side is just furious with you so mad you know in in your face yelling sometimes you know both sides are talking they're mad about something else and i just like i was like man this is just an outrageously tough job so maybe it is another referee i i don't know to me i don't really mind i do wish some of the rules were tweaked i now hate the lean-in fouls some you know obviously some of the hardened stuff that is kind of sifted through the league but i don't really mind the calling of the game as much as i do right. like tonight the decision to eject a guy because you didn't like what he said well the, pro- the the other problem and you get to just about the reviews is like the you know and i feel i think the nba you know, we went through that stretch where the nba was issuing you know apologies and corrections and stuff every single day and so now it's and they got a ton of you know why aren't you getting the call right you have replay and now we have these moments where like i my theory is if you can't see it at half speed then whatever the call was on the floor should stand because you're going to sit there and go frame by frame and try to figure out, you know, if a ball was altered and slide. like no human being can see that. Like if you can't see the point of replay is to get it like right in a way that a normal human being, I think would be able to see it. And if you can't move on and just play the game, that yeah. I, that to me would make a huge difference. Or just make sure there's no egregiously bad calls at the wrong time. And maybe there should be like a you know refereeing czar of each game who can be like, look, there's two minutes left. That guy clearly stepped out of bounds. Like that needs to be all changed right now. Boom, I right. buzzed in. But yeah, like you said. It's, it does seem like every every game, particularly every big game, if you're watching like an ABC Saturday night, it's like late in the game. For you know three minutes down the stretch, you're watching like a basketball. Like, did it graze that fingertip? Did it not? And it's like this like frame by frame. And it's like, I mean. Do, the what, freaking scooter film every single night. Yeah. It's it's wild. Um, up in, in you, you guys uh, up in the Bay Area have a team that I find completely – fascinating um first of all steph curry is i think answering every question that people might have had about him coming into the season despite all of this stuff starting there what what has been what what do you think has been going on with steph like at his level you know to kind of get back to where he is right now you know, it, it ties in a little bit to our conversation we were having earlier about 
uh, you know, the shape guys can get themselves in at, at mm-hmm. particular ages in this modern climate. He is, you know, he's just just like the what LeBron does for his body. Like Steph does that that similar stuff with with all off season, like the way he eats, the way he trains, the cardiovascular shape. I'm not sure there's a player in the league that just scatters all around at all times like him, and that's how he kills defenses. I mean, he just doesn't stop moving. Um, you know, he's getting off the ball, he's darting here, darting there, and just you know, you said Schroeder, I thought guarded him well the other night, but you know, he's got to run all over the court to guard him. I mean, that is a lot of NBA players do not want to do that. So I think he's and also stuff's gotten bigger like he's in the weight room every day i mean go you could go back to you know people have compared this season just because statistically it's very similar to his unanimous mvp 2016 season go back and watch those highlights he's skinny you know he's not like super he's not like baby face you know 22 years old in the league skinny he's starting to get bigger but he's much buffer now and yeah he, I, I was just saying to uh, Quinn on the on the chat board because Quinn said Steph has been getting bigger and stronger every year since 2015 and nobody's noticed because of KD. He, he sets great screens for a guard. And, like, that that's the strength right there. Like, st- actually, Steve Nash used to be the same way. Like, you know, I, I don't know who was stronger between the two, but, like, you know, there, there was something going on there with kind of strength that you wouldn't – you didn't think of Steve Nash as like a buff guy out there, or like, you know, a guy that got by on strength. But when, when you can set those type of screens, like clearly you're, you're doing something in the weight room. And, and it's it's something I've noticed about Steph over the last few years. And maybe it's just re- sort of, sub, you know, subliminally recognizing that he's getting bigger, like that yeah. that muscle is coming on him. But he's he's not like the the waif that I think a lot of people see him as just because He's known as the shooter, and he's relatively smaller than most guys out there on the court. Yeah, no, he's gotten big. He's six three, which you know he's not a small. He's not a big guard, but he's not a small guard. Six three is kind of like almost that fringe. Um, and I, do, you know, I do think that's helped him defend better. He's now, you know, he's been part of elite defenses really the last half decade even this year the Warriors I think are now as we talk are fifth in the league he is he has more to do with that than people realize I mean he's he's become a I would maybe not a plus defender but certainly not a negative like he's you feel impressive at his size to not be a negative defender when you're you know you have that kind of offensive burden and you're you know bigger than he used to be but still not a what massive guy what are the things Anthony that he does defensively that you think people may not realize Gets through screens, knows concepts, knows scouting reports, um, doesn't, you know, we were talking with Draymond about this the other day. He used to get beat back door a lot. He's, you know, kind of have those airhead moments. Oh, sorry about that. He doesn't do that anymore. Um, you know, he's there on the help side. You know, he, he's still got quick hands. He, I think he led the league in steals one year. Um, so he's, that's more of the stuff he used to do. Now I just think he's, he's built and, and guys can't, post him up you know he he's no longer viewed as a mismatch and you i feel like his defense was exploited a bit more back when they had iguodala durant um clay and draymond out there because it was like who can't pick on the other four so might as well pick on him even if he's average he's you know everyone else here is like high level defenders so now he's with sometimes worse defenders on the court which i think allows him to not be exploited nearly as much either Oh, quick update before we talk a little more about Steph. Uh, I'm seeing this from uh, at NBA official. 
the pool report with the referees about oh, Devin Booker. I hate these pool reports. Go yeah. ahead. Why was Devin Booker ejected from Mark Davis, the crew chief? Booker received his first technical foul for continuous complaining, and then he received his second technical foul as per rule was ejected for directing profane language at a game official. So they never admit mistakes in those pool reports. Nope, they do not. And they're vague, and they certainly will not sit in front of a press like, conference. Well, let's, you know what? Well, let's say he did throw you know a fuck you at the, at the referee. It's a national TV game. It doesn't get picked. Really, I nobody heard it on the microphone. I mean, LeBron and those guys clearly like you saw LeBron go woo, like whoa, like can't you just walk away? He just got teed up. Can you not ignore that in that moment? I think no. one. Th- I think one thing that's not known as much to like the wider fan base is how opinionated everybody, it, all the players and coaches are behind the scenes about specific referees. Like, you yeah. know, oh, we got him tonight. Oh, this is what I don't like about him. Oh, man, I hate the way he calls this. Oh, man, he's he's uh, super sensitive. Oh, if we say anything, he's going to get teed. Or there are, like, there are referees that are very well liked by certain players. And not because, like, oh, I think he's going to give me, you know, a call tonight. It's just more like I know I'm going to be able to talk to him. I know he's going to keep it consistent with the way he calls this. I know how he calls a game. And I... I have heard over the last few years, they feel like there's a young wave of referees that are coming in. They're just, like I said, they're just too mechanical and, and the players don't like the refereeing. No, clearly. And I think, I think you can tell much more this year. Again, no fans in the building, every little thing, you know, but it's, they got to figure it out. They got to figure that out. And they also have to figure out the broadcast. That's a set. To your original question, Brian, like the idea of, if he said fuck you to a ref, can you just walk away from it? No. Actually, I think the answer to that is no, because I can promise you that if a ref said fuck you to a player, that player ain't walking away easier. I mean, th- th- this is a workplace relationship. Like there there is a certain amount of respect that I think you have to be getting and well, okay, giving. Fine. fuck you is probably a little strong. What if they just what about like fuck that call? I think you can walk away from that. Yeah, yeah. You, you. I think better. I think walk away from. I think you can walk away from that. There's a difference between fuck that call and fuck you. No, you're right because one is directed at the official himself. One is directed at the call the official made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if it was fuck that call, then yeah, I think the ref should walk away. If it's fuck you, no, Devin Booker should get tossed for that. Just in the same way that if a ref said that to a player, that ref should get reprimanded in some way by the league. Like that's too far. Yeah, you, you should okay. not talk to a player that way. So, uh, do you think there's any sense, though, especially like over the last week and a half, two weeks, month, or whatever you want to call it, is there any sense that the Warriors feel like they either made a mistake with Wiseman or made a mistake in not um, taking a chance on Lamelo? I can tell you what they think at the light years ahead. And would, would and would they admit it if they even? I mean, what's it? They did? What's it? What's admitting it? Having a press conference and be like, you know, man, we really should have picked Lamelo Ball. Um, <laughs> look, I hope if they do that, they do it while sitting next to James. <laughs> I mean, James like, is good. Don't get us wrong, but that Lamelo Ball guy is fantastic. You admit, right? Like, I mean, you, we should have taken Lamelo, correct? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> And you um, still would have gone like maybe you'd be in Charlotte. Like, you wouldn't have dropped that far. It'd have been okay. <laughs> so he, um, the, you know, it's it wasn't just a super consensus pick on James. Um, now by the end, they were very 
settled on him. But they, you know, there was people in the front office that were high on LaMelo too. And, you know, there were discussions on really on those top three picks. You could throw Edwards into that boat. And there was discussions about trading out, you know, trading out to get, you know, if it was a Halliburton or, or a Denny Avija plus getting, um, you know, another, you know, a Wendell Carter or something, you know, right. a, a piece that could help now. Marcus Smart, Miles Turner, I'm just throwing different names out there. But they, at the end, were settled on Wiseman. Remain. What's, what's interesting about the whole Wiseman situation is if, if you take LaMelo out of the picture right now, what he's doing, and he does look like a superstar in the making early in his career, um, I think there would be pretty settled on like, this is what we kind of thought James Wiseman was going to be early in his career flashes of like absurd greatness and talent and like what he potentially can be with a whole bunch of mistakes mixed in there. The fact that he's not a winning component yet, but there are nights where you're like, Whoa, this could be something. Um, and they'd probably be like, yeah, that was in, in an unknown draft with, with the top three that was pretty consensus top three, but all three, if you think about it, were like came with risk, you know, but Edwards had a bad season at Georgia was thought to probably be very uh, high volume, low efficiency early in his career, which he's been. Wiseman had three games at Memphis and disappeared. And then LaMelo Ball wasn't good in Australia. No, he actually really wasn't. <laughs> I it, This isn't Luka Doncic winning EuroLeague MVP right. and then the NBA going, well, uh, we don't think he's going to be good in the NBA, even though he just was the MVP as a teenager in, you know, in the EuroLeague. Like there were legitimate concerns about LaMelo Ball's efficiency, ability to score in traffic, ability to shoot the three at, at more than, I'd, let's say, 30%. Now, early on, he has answered those. And I think to your original question, yeah, I mean, I think it would be human nature right now if, if we are going to have a 30-game checkpoint, 35-game checkpoint, whatever it is, LaMelo Ball looks like the best player of the draft. And, and I think if we were playing odds right now, we would all three say four years from now, it's most likely LaMelo Ball still is the best player in this draft. But the Warriors are not unhappy with James Wiseman right now. And, and, they, do, and they do think there's a world where James Wiseman explodes and is the best player from this draft. We'll see if that happens. But. Okay, two things. First of all, what do you think was ultimately the reason that they settled on Wiseman um, ahead of LaMelo? And also, too, it, was was Clay out? Did they, did they know Clay, Clay tore his Achilles day of the draft? Okay. If Clay was Which healthy, is crazy. If Clay was healthy, do you think they would have been more likely to trade out for an established player? Like for like Bradley Beal, for example, just pure. Yeah, I mean, like Bradley Beal would have to be available for them to. Sure, sure, uh, but just, yeah, yeah, just like on we'll principle. Sort of. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was discussed. You know, trading out was discussed the, by draft day. They had decided on James Wiseman if he was there at two. You know, they were sitting there at one, and there was there was some rumblings that Charlotte, who actually got Lamelo at three, was going to maybe try to trade up to one, uh, just you know, give up three and maybe a future pick to to flip three and one to get Wiseman because there were, they need a center. They still need a center. And the thought was they liked Wiseman. And so they were sitting there, not only like they had decided if Wiseman was there, they were going to take Wiseman, but they were still sifting through all this stuff. And then that morning, Bob Myers of the draft morning of the draft, Clay Thompson is playing pickup basketball in Los Angeles, tears Achilles calls Bob Myers as they are in the war room for this monumental pick to try to extend the franchise. I mean, this is a huge day for the Warriors. And goes, uh, I think I tore my Achilles. 
and they're, they're like, what, 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 you know? And so they're dealing with this seismic event that can be felt today will be felt for the next few years. Right. I mean, like it, it's just, um, and, and they just, they decided in that moment, the thought then was maybe does that put LaMelo into play because you suddenly need guard help or does that, you know, that I remember trying to go through the scenarios myself. Cause I mean, it's dropped on me as somebody who tries to like kind of analyze this team, like what, you know, what are they going to do tonight? Does this change stuff? And you right. talk to them in the aftermath and their thought was, you know, we've we've settled on Wiseman. We want Wiseman. We think he has the chance to be the best player. He obviously does also fit a positional need. They really needed a center, um, and they just said, "Let's go with the pick." Uh, and again, I uh, I don't think they're unhappy with it. But yes, I mean, like you cannot you can't not watch Charlotte games right now and be like, well, he, he would fit pretty well." <laughs> but to your point, like you know, the idea that if Charlotte spent you know a week before the draft trying to figure out how to trade up so they could draft. Wiseman, that that is an indicator that none of these guys, anybody felt like were sure things. And they weren't. I mean, you know, there were some draft analysts who who should be credited for putting Lamelo up there and saying, yes, that's the number one player. But I, you know, again, I I didn't pull every GM, but I bet if I bet if you know if you gave the number one pick to all thirty NBA teams, I bet it's it's somewhere around like ten go here. Eight go there, 12 go there. How much do you think the experience of Lonzo in the league, who has not been terrible, he's going to have a, a fairly long career, but is, you know, we're not, they're not sure they're going to extend him in New Orleans. Like, how much do you think just watching Lonzo and his unorthodox ways and how they haven't totally fit influenced people's, re- you know, influenced a reticence to take LaMelo? Yeah, that, you know, it might have added to it, although. I think you could see early, like Lamelo has more flair to him, more confidence in the shot, even mm-hmm. if the shot didn't go as much. Um, I'm, I, he, it's obvious to kind of compare brother to brother. Um, what you do like about Lonzo and Lamelo's game is just like the the, the IQ, the basketball feel, the, the genius level passing, and you know, just even defense. I mean, that to me, the best argument for like Lamelo could become good defenders. Like Lonzo's a good defender. Yeah, but I think what hurt. You know, some people try to say it was, it was, you know, there's a character thing with Lamelo or the dad thing. I don't believe all that, and I certainly don't think that's why the Warriors didn't pick him. I just think he wasn't very good in Australia, and if you just watch the tape, it's like this guy might not be. I, I, I thought even if he was going to be good, it would take him a few years to to get anywhere over thirty percent from three. I thought he was right. going to really have trouble finishing at the rim. Like you know, I, our guy Ethan Strauss did a bunch of pre-draft work and he was not very high on the mellow and part of that he was like he was talking yeah i was gonna say that piece that he wrote on the was terrific yeah like, even if it turns out it wasn't correct it was really well written yeah and part of that was he was talking to andrew bogut and andrew bogut played in australia against Lamelo and rj hampton who went uh, ended up going to denver and bogut at the time playing in that league thought hampton was better like you know it, it's it's a, it's obvious now to say this guy was clearly seems to be the best prospect in the draft, but I don't necessarily blame anyone who thought differently. I didn't think differently. I was highest on Wiseman. I was telling the Warriors to pick Wiseman, so I certainly can't criticize them for taking Wiseman. It's your fault. Warriors fans, direct your ire at Anthony Slater if you're not already. Last Warriors question. This is is the the life we've chosen for ourselves. We're just – 
this stuff gets directed at us and there's nothing you can do about Warriors it. Warriors Twitter reminds me a lot of Lakers Twitter. Yeah. I, I think it's a lot like basically pick your team Twitter. Like we we are sort of there. Yeah. They're two big fan bases. So it's just like, you know, it's it's even more, you know, I guess monumental because there's just more people. Yeah, we, we are there to be the uh, target of venting. You know, it's occasionally the target of celebration as well. Like you want to be included, but largely we're there to be yelled at. Um, th- this season Steph is having is pretty amazing. And, you know, the the Warriors staying in the, the playoff picture, you know, above 500 in, in the West, I think is really a testament to what Steph is doing this year. What, what do you think th- – because this is not going to be a season, I think, unless things go incredibly weird that they win a championship or come even close. But what do you think this season's going to mean? Like, when, when you look back on Steph's career, because, like, it – it reminds me a lot of Kobe's 2006 where, you know, where you, you saw what he could do willing a team. Yeah. A lot of that will depend on like where this goes. Right. I mean, I think through a half a season, it's been impressive what he's done. And I mean, he's dragged them now. They're right in that, you know, five through eight mix. Um, if he can get them out of the play in, if he can make noise in the first round, if he could take somebody to the brink in the first round, perhaps even, you know, if they can get in the four or five and beat Phoenix maybe, and then, take the Lakers to five or six, like that'll look really good on him. Um, And it's not even just the fact that they're winning. Like if you watch some of the stuff he does off ball, that just gets like, I've never seen him do to defenses. What is being done where he just runs over to the wing and two defenders freak out and go to him and it, and it creates a dunk. So uh, just that kind of just like offensive force he's been while also being steady on defense. And I think just, um, the way he's led this team publicly and privately um, should be commended to. I mean, like, you know, he's not forcing them right now to trade Wiseman just to get him help this season. He sees a, he sees the long view. I think he believes his his prime is going to be extended. And that's not to say that he won't ever say, hey, it might be wise to trade this, you know, 20, 21 year old project for, you know, help if Bradley Beal or something like that becomes available but I think he's taking a patient approach he's he's he he doesn't call out young guys or call out the organization publicly Uh, and he hasn't forced their hands behind the scenes he I think he's understood when Clay went down that this was the type of season it's going to be and that's not easy for a guy who's at you know either at the peak or near the peak of his powers and we're talking about a top whatever 20 player ever um to willingly understand that this probably isn't going to be a title season, but he's going to go for it anyways, like as, as much as he can. It's impressive. I don't know, like, does it cement his legacy? I think anyone that 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 believes that probably wasn't paying attention enough right. to how good he already was. Cements it as much as I just think it's a it's a it's an interesting chapter. Because yeah. like we we think of, I, I think Steph gets thought of as this guy who relative to the expectations, even though he was, a, a, I think it was ninth overall. Is that what he was? Seventh. Seventh. Um, you know, he, he was obviously thought of well, but I don't, I don't think most people expected him to be what he is. You know, like a guy that literally changed the game. Like, I know I didn't. And His you know, family didn't. Right, <laughs> exactly. You know, the, the, the apex obviously comes with those three championships. But then you've got this just very different, chapter in his career where success becomes defined in a very different way. And and like I said, it reminds me a lot of Kobe in 2006. And 
you know, the context of a lot of this is different because Kobe was unhappy then and he wasn't sure about what the organization could do for him post Shaq. Whereas, you know, Steph already got a lot of that winning done with him as a focal point out of the way. But, you know, just again, that that ability to will a team past where they have any business being, I, I think that commonality is there. And it just spoke yeah. to both, spoke to what both were really capable of doing. For sure. And part of that Kobe story was also like he was kind of rebuilding a winning culture there then, yeah. too, yeah. right? It was like it that was the base level for what became the POW, you know, secondary title teams. And that's what Steph's really trying to do. This season isn't just about like trying to prove he can you know, get a fourth seed and, and win more than, you know, NBA Twitter believes he can basically, you know, by himself offensively. I think he's trying to grow Wiseman. He's trying to, um, you know, work well with Wiggins, teach Ubre the system, bring back a winning culture. They were the worst team in the NBA last season. You know, it was because he got hurt, but they were 15 and 50. You know, that's, that's a puncture to just the psyche of an organization. And I think his belief is not just that he, like I said, proving that he can lift, what is a lottery team to a mid playoff team. I think he believes like this is step one to what's to come, which in his hope at least is that it'll be Kobe like in the sense of like two titles are still to come when clay comes back, when, you know, if Draymond's prime kind of extends either Wiseman explodes and Wiggins is a stable piece, or that's flipped into something bigger that can help them. But he feels like he's ground flooring it back up. Yeah. That are just the sheer, power of of kelly Oubre's handsomeness gets them you know a couple rounds deeper into the playoffs he's a he's just coming off a hell of a february man a huge february after yeah. a horrendous january what's yeah. been crazy is he him was and, terrible well hit, wiggins was great in january and Oubre was terrible and then in february wiggins have been pretty bad offensively at least uh and Oubre's flipped like they haven't been good at the same time this year you know, explains why Steph has to keep doing what he's doing. All right, so we began this show talking about the great Damian Jones, who has not impressed uh, Anthony Slater, but certainly I, is, I feel bad. Is I like Damian. He's a he's a really nice guy. I've done a bunch of interviews with him. I don't want to just like crush where he is. I just you know oh, I think we're a little late for that, Anthony. Mm, you probably right. I mean, when you open the show with the Lakers, should just cut him on day three. I didn't say. That. <laughs> He's helping right now. Well, I mean, you did begin with, I'm shocked he's still in the league. I mean, that. <laughs> All right, what do we do? A trivia on his career? I actually might have no, some. Yeah, that's trivia on his career. But as we pointed out, he has yet to miss from the field. He is shooting 100% from the field as a Laker. Five for five. With that in mind, um, I've got the field goal percentages of various centers who played for the Lakers. And I'm going to give you two guys. You're going to tell me who has the higher field goal percentage as a Laker. This is just purely the only Laker game. Uh, you guys each uh, get to answer. Uh, Brian's going to go first for the first one, then Anthony next, Brian, Anthony, and so right. on. We begin. Former Laker champions, JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard, who has the higher field goal percentage as a Laker? I think JaVale McGee, Dwight I'm going Howard. JaVale. Anthony. I think, well, so we're including Dwight's like first stand. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then I'll go JaVale because Dwight was like still back then thinking he was like post up king, like maybe mid range. I'm going with JaVale. The answer is JaVale. It's pretty close. JaVale 62.8%. So 
Howard is 61. I'm um, curious if we just looked at last season, I might go Dwight when he was uh, like knew his role. Yes, yeah. He was like 75 percent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Dwight missed like four shots all year. Tells you what his first stint was probably like. <laughs> Next, uh, and Anthony's gonna go first on this one. Jordan Hill or Tarek Black? Jordan Hill or Tarek Black? Anthony. See, this is this is a question YouTube probably because I like not really remembering how well you know. I, Jordan Hill was like an NBA disappointment. Was he a Laker disappointment? Kind of. I mean, he 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 had people encouraged for a little while. He's very much how you describe some of these people earlier yeah. in the uh, in the show. Yeah. I'll go. Uh, I'll go Jordan Hill. He seemed a bit more of a scorer than Tariq Black, but sometimes that means your field goal percentage is going to be worse because you take in worse shots. Well, if you were asking about three-point percentage, Andy, Tariq Black shot 50% as a Laker uh, from three-point land. One of two. I'm, yeah, one of two. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly right. But I will I will go with Tariq Black. The answer is Tariq Black. Nice. 54.3% versus Jordan Hill, 49.5%. Jordan's That's bad if you're a center under 50%. <laughs> yes. A couple too many mid-rangers. Uh, next, Gonzaga alums, Roni Turioff or Robert Sacre? Brian goes first. Ooh, I'm going to say Sacre. Anthony. I'm going to go with Roni Turioff because like Sacre, even the easy ones, he seemed like he would miss. You know, like he could, he could get some restricted area shots that weren't necessarily guaranteed makes. Brian, come on, man! It's Roni Turioff. You, That's true. You would guy. not. We love. We love Roni. That was I, stupid. I, I never set up Roni to play. Play, play the player. Don't play the game. I understand. Yeah, that was dumb. It is two to two right now. Anthony goes first. DJ Benga or Chris Mim? Very close. DJ Benga or Chris Mim? Did Chris Chris Mim seem like he took a few threes to me? No, I don't. Never. Think no, nah, it was pre pre three era. <sighs> okay, um, I, I don't recall Chris. We covered those teams. I don't recall Chris Mim ever taking a three. Okay, well there you go. See, see, I I, uh, I got the info I need. I'm gonna go Chris Mim then. I'm gonna say in the same way, Andy. I don't think would set up uh, Ronnie Turi have to fail. I don't think he would set up DJ Banga to fail in part because DJ Banga told the greatest story, one of the greatest locker room stories I've ever heard. When after the earthquake in LA, he went back to his hotel downtown and they told him that maybe aftershocks, which he, you know, he's seen DJ Benga has seen some things over the course of his life. Um, he, but earthquakes were not one of them. So he goes and he finds out there could be aftershocks. His, you know, room was way at the top of this hotel. He goes back down to the lobby and just drives around because he didn't want to be in the hotel if there were aftershocks. He drove around all night basically because he, he wanted to be on the ground when the aftershocks came. Wow. It is a it is an awesome story. Unfortunately, though, oh, Chris Mim irrelevant. is the correct answer. Forty eight point six percent from the that, field versus DJ Bang of forty seven point five. Both terrible, but that was some journalism right there. I asked about Chris Mim's three point shooting. You guys gave me the 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 Laker inside knowledge, and I used it to to get the answer right. Yeah, no, people think that. we're just you know a couple dudes. No, we we know all the important stuff. Well, he was talking about his journalism, Brian, not our journalism. Uh, <laughs> Anthony was talking about his own. Uh, uh, three to two, Anthony is up. Uh, two guys that would play center often at the end of games, Pau Gasol or Anthony Davis. Brian Ooh. goes, Pau Gasol or Anthony Davis? Field goal percentage as Lakers. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm going to tell you, it is close. It's it really is, close. It is, I'll say Pau. 
So Anthony Davis like didn't shoot the jumper that well this last season, and we're only talking about regular season, right? Because he was scorching in the playoffs. Yeah, just regular season. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go with Powell too, because yeah, I just think Davis didn't have that efficient of a regular season last year. The answer is Powell Gasol. Nice. Really close. 52.2% for Powell versus 51% for Anthony Davis. So very close. Anthony up four to three. Bob McAdoo or Mark Landsberger? Bob <laughs> or Mark Landsberger. Anthony goes first. It's I think okay Bob McAdoo was like a good like mid-range shooter. Now I'm I'm way out of my element here, but I believe that to be the case. So I'll go with him. I'm gonna say Mark Landsberger. Oh, you should have listened to Anthony. He's oh, forty-nine point four percent for McAdoo, uh, Laker champion, versus Mark Landsberger, forty-six point six. I think also a Laker champion. Pick it up, Landsberger. Michael Thompson or Vladi Divac? Oh man, Michael Thompson or Vladi Divac? Brian goes first. Uh, MT. Um. I feel like it would be safe for me to say that if I want to win, but uh, I'll go. I'll go Vlad. Don't, don't worry, we've got a plan for that. Uh, should have gone safe, Anthony. It is Michael Thompson, fifty-one point four percent versus fifty point nine. Couple more to go. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or his protege? I'm not kidding. This is true. Andrew Bynum. Andrew Bynum. That's right. Kareem or Andrew Bynum? I think Andrew the answer is going to be Bynum. Anthony goes first. Kareem, this is well, we know where he's going. Um it show your hand, Brian. This is tell you plenty about the deceiving nature of stats if it's really buying him. Yes. I'm gonna <laughs> these are actual stats. There's nothing deceiving. No, well, no, just, like you know, the idea that somehow Andrew Bynum is like oh, oh, better than now yeah, it's journalism. What it means. I mean, I'll go Kareem just because I just feel I don't want to answer this question, Andrew Bynum, even if I lose it. <laughs> Brian? I just said Bynum. The answer is Kareem. Oh! 6.7 versus 56.6 for Bynum. So it's one-tenth of a percent? Yes, it's really... Well, it wasn't crazy, my oh, answer. Okay, just to continue my questioning of you guys, did Bynum shoot mini threes? Like I remember when he started. Oh, no, Bynum, Bynum had one of the great quotes of all time when he was benched by Mike Brown for taking threes. Oh, my guy, Mike. Was, I love Mike Brown. in transition. Right. It was, <laughs> and so and when asked about it uh, after afterwards, he said he was expanding, I, I mean, quote, expanding my game. Oh, one man. of the great moments in Lakers history. He was very much acting out during this period. <laughs> <laughs> this was a period where you really felt he is going to get traded this offseason. Yes. He was doing this, by the way, Heading into what was essentially like a contract year, right? You know that 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 famous photo of him in Philadelphia, where half the hair is braided down and half of it's in a fro. Like this moment was like the beginning that led to that. Like that, he was the best. He oh, we miss we miss Drew. Yeah, best. deep reserves. Joe Smith. Was this the last one? Second to last. Okay. Joe Smith or Theo Ratliff? Oh, Theo Ratliff never missed. Joe Smith or Theo Ratliff, deep reserves for the Lakers. I believe both final seasons of their careers. Yes. Joe Smith. Joe Smith, Joe Smith holds a uh, place yes, in Warriors sir. history. Number one overall pick. That's right. Um, I'll go with him. 
Okay, I'm just, saying Theo Ratliff. Theo Ratliff took like eight shots all year and it didn't miss any of them. Well, if you, you miss, are, you are both correct. The answer <laughs> is both shot. I am not shitting. Sixteen point seven percent. Sixteen. Sixteen point seven percent. Looks like. Theo did miss once in a while. My memories of Theo Ratliff are much more efficient than that. They were on the same team. <laughs> oh, wow. That must have been a rough year. It we covered was. some really shitty teams. <laughs> today. Well, they, like, no, really this bad. Was, this was the team that was looking to three-peat. This was actually, they were on the two, uh, 2011 team that was looking to three-peat. Oh, you're right. They managed to shoot 16.7%. From the field, uh, which is not good. It's not good. Their, it's not good for any position, but certainly not good for their positions. Okay, Anthony is up seven to five, but as luck would have it, just this last one is worth three points. So Brian does have the opportunity to steal. Last question: Wilt Chamberlain or Shaq? Wilt Chamberlain or Shaq? So I'm it, going first. Yeah. You're going first. Shaq. Wilt. Brian with the comeback. It is nice. Wilt. 60.5 versus 57.5 for Shaq. So Brian with the massive comeback over the self-proclaimed journalist, Anthony Slater. Yeah. I I do not regret my Shaq choice. Shaq's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I mean, he still could have been awesome. You could have won the game. Like, one's really got nothing to do with the other. Still don't regret it. Um... <laughs> All right, Anthony Slater, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You can catch him at The Athletic, covers the Warriors in the NBA um, and the Plus Minus Podcast, Warriors Plus Minus Podcast. Um, we're trying to put the banner back up here to like honor you here. We People don't need to know about us. There you are. That's all the stuff that Anthony does. Uh, tomorrow is Zach, uh, Zach Cram from The Ringer is going to join us Thursday, Trayvon Edwards. And Friday, Steve Mason. So a uh, fun rest of the week. Again, thanks again to Anthony for, for staying up late with us on an off night. We really appreciate it. And we will see everyone tomorrow. Donkey Needle on. <laughs>